0: Well, um, one of the things that I don't get to watch in Romania is American football. And, uh, of course, they call soccer football. And if you want to offend a European, just tell them that American football is a much more complicated sport than football. And they say, well, you just don't understand and everything. And I say, you know, my brother's a basketball coach, and I played basketball in school, and, you know, Soccer, football, it's a lot like basketball. American football, much more complicated. And uh, one of the things in American football is uh, you go in with a plan, but then the quarterback is behind there and he's looking at the defense, and sometimes he calls an audible, right? I was tempted this morning to call an audible, but I'm just not skilled enough to do it. We were, As we were singing, uh, they'll know we are Christians by our love. I was just thinking of First John. Uh, the book of first John and, and that's probably right now my favorite uh, book to study. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd have prepared something for First John. I, I don't get to preach very much. Usually I just go around and I give the PowerPoint presentation that you all saw last night. So I'm not much of a preacher. I don't get a lot of chances to preach. Um, and then uh, pastor reading from Matthew 18. That's a pastor that's just dear to my heart that, and I believe that that passage says a lot more than what we've ever, than, than what many people have mined out of it. I believe that uh, children have been abused and being abused for um, all of our fallen existence. And I believe that, that Christ there is addressing some of that in a very deep and real way. And I would have loved to have prepared something on that subject for you all, uh, but I didn't. But then um, uh, <laughs> but then we, we, sang, we sang the last hymn here, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. And that was affirming to me. The Lord gave us that hymn, I believe, because uh, that is in line with the message that I prepared for you all uh, this morning. Uh, as Pastor uh, said, um, I was thinking of, of your theme here, of uh, spreading the gospel. And like all of you, or, or probably a lot of you, um, I am what you would call maybe a, a news junkie. Okay? I, I like to hear the news. I like to, that's, what I, that's what I listen to. And, um, you know, I, I'm either listening to Christian radio or, or I'm listening to, listening to the news. And, um, well, what, so what's been on my mind lately but Ebola, right? And how there is this, there is this disease. And I do not want to in any way, um, in any way, describe the gospel as being a disease, okay? Understand me. However, the gospel does bring about death. Death of the old man, right? Death of our pride. Death of, uh, and, and it, it, it changes us. It, it changes us, it scars us. And sometimes it is difficult to carry our faith. Even now, uh, I, I am the only one in my, in my personal family that's walking with the Lord. Felicia is, is, is the only uh, one in, in her family uh, that has come to faith. And um, as, as I mentioned before, Even though you want to love everybody and you want to be in union with everybody, um, sometimes following one party, following one fellowship, following one faith uh, makes you an enemy of others. And um, even though uh, we love and we honor our fathers and mothers, there is often a divide there, and uh, re- recently here, uh, over the past couple of weeks, I have actually spent a lot of time um, in agony, in tears over some of the some of the rifts that it, that, that it, it has made in, in my own family. So the gospel is not a disease, but it is something that is very costly. And Christ, he told us, he said that uh, if you are faithful, there will be persecution in this world. There is no way to escape it. as pastor mentioned so so my challenge to you this morning is going to be you know are we contagious with the gospel or is it lying dormant in us are we just carriers of it uh, if we were to take our spiritual temperature would we have a fever for the gospel would it be contagious are people trying to quarantine us or are they happy or are we quarantining ourselves my message this morning is in 5 points that should probably go over pretty well in this church, right? A message that comes in five points, right? Okay. Uh, and it's always good to be, to be with folks that understand God's sovereignty over grace, and I can kind of let my hair down a little bit more. Point uh, The point one, uh, what is the gospel? Okay? Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm not going to be able to go very deep into that. It's going to be just the 30,000-foot uh, view. We, we could study that um, every sermon. From here until for the rest of our lives, right, and and still not have it fully looked at from every angle, every perspective. Second point is uh, how does this? How does the gospel get into us, or how are we infected, as it were? Third point is uh, where, what does it infect in us? Where does it go, spiritually speaking? Four, uh, how does it change us? How does it affect us? How does it afflict us? Point five. Uh, what does the gospel make us do? What are the symptoms of being infected with the gospel? This is going to be um, somewhat uh, topical. Topical oftentimes is a is a bad word uh, in, in preaching, and I believe that too. I believe that, that, that all preaching should be based on Scripture and explaining what Scripture says. However, I hope that today we bounce around to various scriptures and explain what each scripture says within its context and that i'm not taking anything even if it's just one verse that i'm addressing it within the context of the greater uh, passage around it to describe uh... these points and the goal is is to encourage you uh... to be more contagious with the gospel our first passage that we're going to look at and there will be quite a bit of flipping uh... is is going to be second corinthians uh... chapter five so 2 Corinthians, of course, follows 1 Corinthians. Okay. That's my humor, I'm sorry. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 and 21. Many of you ha- have, have, this, have this memorized. What is the gospel? Let's try to define that, at least in a broad uh, way. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might be become the righteousness of God. First of all, we see in verse 20 that we have to, the gospel includes being reconciled. Now, there are lots of things as we left America and came back four years later, um, lots of things stay the same in four years, lots of things change and you don't realize, you don't don't notice them if you're living in them. If you go away and then come back you, you realize them or maybe there were just some things that you weren't necessarily aware of before you left and then you notice them when you go back. One of the things that is not good as I go around and speak, oftentimes uh, um, we speak in the youth groups, you know, especially among young people. And as I'm speaking with young people, and they, and they use the term getting saved, they use the term salvation. And I'll just ask them, I'll just point at them, and I'll just say, Well, what are we getting saved from? Um, um, you know, from, from being lost. Okay? And if you're lost, what's so bad about being lost? It's, it's like pulling teeth to get children to realize, to get young people to realize, you know, we, we, have, we have been preaching a, a doctrine of the gospel and defining it as being that, uh, you know, hey, you can have a good life. If you get the gospel, your life will be even better. That is not what the gospel even promises. In fact, Christ, like I said, he promises persecution. Um, it's not about having your best life now. The gospel, uh, you are being reconciled to God you are, you are being saved from hell. Imagine it this way. Imagine uh, if, if, if there was one of my sons. Imagine if he was out playing in the middle of the road. And you ran out to him and you grabbed him and you pulled him away from there. You realized the danger that he was in. You realized that you saved him. What did you save him from? Getting run over. But maybe he, maybe, maybe he uh, has no idea what it is that you saved him from, right? And that's the way that our society is. Our, our, our neighbors around us, they are playing in the middle of the street. And as we go to them and we say, you must be saved, repent of your sin, they have no idea about the truck that's coming to crush them, right? They have no idea about standing before God in judgment and, and, and what that will mean for them. We are to take this word in order to help, help our, our friends and our neighbors be saved from a danger that they are not even aware of. So, first of all, our first step is, is, is to, to preach and proclaim the judgment of God uh, coming on this earth. Why is the judgment of God coming on this earth? Well, let's talk about that. Uh, Adam, our first father, sinned, and his sin has been applied to us all. We've sinned because of the Adam, we, we sin because through Adam's sin, but we also sin because of our own choices that we make. According to Luke 13, you remember in Luke 13. Um, they came to Christ and they said, hey, did you hear about uh, these people who, uh, Pilate, he, he sacrificed them, and their, or he didn't sacrifice them, he murdered them, and their blood was mixed with the sacrifices. What does Jesus say? He, say? he says, do you think that those Galileans were any more sinful than everybody else? No, but I tell you, unless you repent, you all likewise shall perish. Okay, and then he says, and you remember hearing about how that tower... Uh, fell on the people and they died do you think they were worse sinners than everybody else no but i tell you unless you repent you likewise shall perish if you keep notes i recommend you write down this uh, repentance by thomas boston that book if you read it uh, thomas boston will knock you down and then once he has knocked you down he will keep kicking you and you will be like i've repented i've repented and he'll be like no you haven't repented right but it's a, it's, it's a great book. It is, it, is, it is heavy lifting for the soul. Thomas Boston, Repentance. And, it, and basically the whole book, he's just um, analyzing that passage. And he teaches us, he says that um, the suffering on this earth is a result of sin, right? When we suffer on earth, it's either because we have sinned or uh, it's because other people have sinned. The children that we minister to in Romania... They are suffering because of the sin of their parents that don't get their things together and take care of their family, the sin of their parents uh, who abuse them. They suffer the sin of other people who would get them intoxicated with alcohol, then get them intoxicated with heroin, and then then use them to produce money. They suffer because of their own sins. They suffer because of the sins of of others. Thirdly, we suffer just because we live in a sin-fallen world. Uh, when, when Adam sinned, sin came into this world. Suffering came into this world. Death came into this world. And none of us are going to make it out of this world alive, unless if the the Lord comes first, right? So all suffering is due to sin. All suffering is proof of the ultimate suffering to come in hell for those that, that, that do not repent of their sins. Some people say... Um, you know, well, I just don't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. Okay, do you believe that God is loving? Yes. Come with me in the car. Let's go to Detroit to the children's hospital, and you go and you look at those little children who are suffering not because of their sin, not because of their parents' sin, but just because sin is in this world. And you tell me that 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 God would not send someone to hell. Suffering is real. Suffering is on this is on this earth, and it is much easier once you have seen the suffering of this earth. Some ways, in some ways, it's easier to believe in hell than it is in heaven. We are preaching the gospel to our friends, to our family, who are unaware, who are oblivious to the semi-truck headed their way, to the reality that is hell. What are we saved from? We are safe from hell. Point, point one of the gospel. Um, let's all turn together really quickly to Romans 5, passage you all are familiar with. I'll, I'll read it, though. Romans in chapter 5. Romans is uh, between um, Acts and 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Again, reconciliation meaning, you know, bringing two parties together. Two parties are at war but then reconciliation brings them together. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Let's, let's jump then to verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many so Adam sinned Adam sinned We're born sinners in Adam right Christ lived an obedient life he, he lived a righteous life he fulfilled the law of God through faith in him we can be reborn we can be born again in Christ Let, let let's read in verse uh, 18 there of chapter 5 therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men so one act of righteousness, that is the righteous life of Christ and his death on, on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Here we see that uh, Christ is, is what is oftentimes described as the second Adam. We are all born in Adam. We are, we are all born with sin. Through Christ, we can be reborn. Let's remember what, what Jesus said in John chapter 3 when he said, you know, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how is it? How can we be reborn? How can we catch the gospel? How do we catch it? How do we become infected with it, if you will? Let's turn to just a few pages over to Romans chapter 10. One professor of mine described the book of Romans as being the gospel according to Paul. Not that, you know, he's describing the life of Christ, but that he's describing the mechanics of of the gospel. Romans chapter 10 and verse... verse, um, For now, we're going to read 17, then we're going to back it up and take it within the context. Verse 7, Romans 10, 17. Many of you all have this memorized. So faith comes from hearing... And hearing through the Word of God. So, the gospel, where, where, where do we get it? It comes in through what? It comes in through our ears, right? Right Right now, we're concerned about Ebola, and how, how do we get it? It's transmitted through bodily fluids, right? And these folks, their loved ones die, and their rituals include um, washing them and things, or there are healthcare workers. And uh, various bodily fluids are being admitted f- from the body of, of the sick, and these healthcare workers are you know cleaning up those bodily fluids or taking care of them, and those bodily fluids get put on them, uh, and then and then they become infected. The gospel message infects us. The gospel message comes to us through what? Through the ears. Okay. That's interesting, as opposed to. You know other diseases. Think of heart disease. How, how, how do you get that? You inherit it, right? You know, recently I applied for life insurance. They were asking me all kinds of questions. What about me? Well, yeah, some about me, but they wanted to know more about my mom and dad, right? Because various diseases you inherit them. Some people believe that uh, how, if we were asked, well, how do you catch being a Christian? How do, you become, how do you become infected with the gospel? They would answer you and say, well, you inherit it, right? It's hereditary. As a matter of fact, I believe that that is probably the one doctrine that is so unique uh, to our faith. The idea that your grandparents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents can all be of one faith. But yet, if you yourself do not believe that, you are not of that faith. Uh, For us, you know, Baptists, uh, I remember in Romania once, I'll back it up, uh, you know, in... Like for instance Felicia, you know, her family for thousands of years back, or probably a years back, are Eastern Orthodox. She is the first one that has come to a to a faith uh, faith-based um, belief in Jesus Christ. Before that, maybe there were some that were within the Orthodox Church that that the Lord also illumined and and allowed them to uh, to become saved. I pray that there were. But. Um, there, they pretty well believe that um, if, you're, if you're Romanian, you're Orthodox. If you're Hungarian, you're Catholic. You know, it, it all depends on what you're, what you're born into, right? I remember we had, uh, we had the census um, come in Romania, and they were asking about uh, the religion of, uh, of us, and we said Baptists, uh, or how was it? Uh, we were well. How many people are in the household? This many, and what religion are they? Well, my wife and I are Baptists. She looked at us. She said, "And your children? I hope they'll be too, <laughs> you know. But uh, um, you know, Baptists aren't born; they're made. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, and that was that was hard for her to understand. And th- and then I told her, I said, I said but, "But please count them as well, because I I want us to, you know, it, it, it's in our interest for your for your little." Uh, um, uh, survey for your little census to include us, and she was like, "Nope, if they weren't baptized, I'm not going to put them." <laughs> so, you know, so they were undeclared, uh, as it would be, which is which is correct, right? Baptists are made; they're not they're not born. And not that being Baptist, you know, you don't have to be a Baptist to get into heaven, but why take a chance, right? <laughs> so, um, the gospel is caught. Look. Let's look back just a little bit to verse 15 of Romans 10. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So we see, first of all, we see that the gospel is contagious. It's not inherited. It is caught from other people. It is caught from them speaking, from us hearing it. It is caught through our ears, right? Uh... Ephesians chapter one says it this way: It says, "In him you also." Ephesians one verse thirteen: "In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit." You can hear the gospel, you can understand the gospel, but unless the Holy Spirit's moving on you, you're not going to accept the gospel. You're not going to believe the gospel, right? The gospel is, 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 is uh, as, as Paul said, you know, to the Greeks, which by and large, more and more and more, our society uh, reflects Greek culture, the gospel is what is foolishness, right? You are not going to believe the gospel unless the Holy Spirit moves you to believe it. But the Holy Spirit is not going to move on you, um, irrespective or without uh, you hearing the gospel, God has chosen to work in this, in this mode. He, he, he is sovereign, but yet he has chosen to work through his people spreading the gospel. His last command is our first command. Is that the... Yeah, his last command is our first calling. Uh, uh, we, we are to go out and spread this gospel message. So how do we get infected? We get infected through our ears. But there might also be another way that we can get infected. You know, and that, That's often the way that it is with diseases, right? You can get, in, you can get infected through, through, through one portal or you can get infected through another. What's another that we can, can get infected through? Uh, well, I submit to you that uh, Matthew 5 and verse 16, our Lord, he says, Let your light so shine before others that they may, what? See your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So oftentimes sight is, is also involved, especially when you consider that God in his sovereignty chose to give us his word how? In written form, which we read. Unless we're blind, then we would feel it, but that's not very many people, right? Okay. Again, that's my stab at humor. Um, uh, we can also catch it by sight. I will, however, tell you, that uh, um, the gospel message, as, as we shared earlier, about uh, um, us being fallen in Adam, God sending a second Adam, his own son, to live a righteous life, the righteous life that we could not live, and then dying on the cross and suffering the wrath of God for our sins, a payment that we could not make, that's all pretty complicated information. And it's pretty hard to communicate that just through doing good works. Okay? Okay. So as we think about spreading the gospel, uh, the gospel is to permeate, and the gospel does not just move, does not just flow out and move out of our mouth. It also moves out of our hands, through our good works, but yet through our hands, it's hard to really communicate the gospel, the special revelation of God, in such a way that they can accept the gospel. Does that make sense? You know, it, it would be like, can you imagine? Uh, uh, have you ever played charades, right? Well. Imagine if we were all playing charades, and there was someone there that was an unbeliever, and you pulled out the little piece of paper, and it said the gospel. How in the world are you going to present that with charades, right? So we we need good works. Our good works are in line, and um, to a point, they in and of themselves, you know, they know. As we sang in that song, they know we are Christians by our love, but yet. Um, this idea of preaching the gospel at all times and using words when necessary, um, there is a there is a fraction of truth into that, but yet your works alone are not enough to get someone saved. You, you, your your works are are a means to open up the door for them to then listen to you. Uh, your 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 good works are then a means to be to be an example of the effect that the gospel has had on your own heart in your own life that you yourself have been infected but that's not enough for them to get infected with the gospel we see in just, just a chapter later in Matthew 6 and 23 Christ says the lamp of the body is the eye so if the eyes are sound then the whole of the body will be full of light if then your eyes are dark how great is that darkness right uh, as I shared last night, uh, I, I've, ha- I've had the honor to, uh, over this past year, to counsel four, uh, five cases uh, here in the States. Four of them uh, parents of children that are having issues, uh, one of them a, a marriage uh, situation. And one of the big things that, I, that I've learned is, is uh, um, if you want to change, if you want to change what's in the heart, you have to change what's coming into the ears and you have to change what's coming into the eyes. Right, those are the gates by which your heart will be will be influenced. And uh, I I submit to you that some of you uh, might have things coming into your homes through these portals. We call them television sets. That uh, maybe maybe needs to be a little bit different, or maybe you need to cut the cord. Uh, my wife and I uh, we we ourselves uh, ha- have lived without television. I don't say that to make me more holy than, than anyone else or anything else. But, but that, is a, that is a decision that, that we made as a family. And I, and I would encourage you, the lamp of the body is the eyes. And if the eyes are sound, then the whole of the body will be full of light. But if your eyes are dark, how great is that darkness? We are infected with the gospel, or we, we are infected oftentimes with sin through our eyes and through our ears. What we see and what we hear, it affects us. We might think that it does not affect us, but it does affect us, and eventually it will infect us. Once we are infected with the gospel, where does it go? What does it infect? Right. And this is where uh, the song that we sang just before I spoke came in, where it said, Lord, I want to be holy. Lord, I want to be holy in my heart. The gospel infects our hearts. And of course, as we're talking about the heart um, in, um, in spiritual terms, in physical terms, we're, we're talking about the brain, right? We, we know that today. We're talking about our minds. We're talking about our brains. Let's turn back in the Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel um, uh, <coughs> is just after Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Or Jeremiah, actually, um, I, J... Actually, it's, it's, it's after uh, Lamentations, rather. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, chapter 36. This is a very important uh, passage of, of God's Word. The New Covenant. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. Here here God is is kind of uh, foreshadowing what's going to happen after Christ comes on the scene. You know, up until this point, uh, the people had been basically just given rules, just given laws. Here God is saying what he is going to do. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will be put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall... So here we see that up until this point, they had tried and tried and tried and tried and tried tried to uh, follow the rules, to follow the law of God. But God here says, you know what the problem is, is that You have hearts of stone. You are trying to obey a law that you are incapable of obeying because you do not have the love, you do not have the heart of flesh. So God is is promising that he will give us the heart of flesh. And he gives us that heart of flesh, how? Through the gospel, through being infected with the gospel. We are infected. Other people speaking the gospel, we hear it. It infects our hearts. Luke 6.35 uh, says it this way. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So we see there that it's, it, it, it is the heart that is infected that changes and, and then it, it, it grows out. And it acts how? It acts through our hands and it acts through our mouth. We've been exposed to Christians, we have heard, we have seen, we've been, we've been infected, the infection grows, and it just overflows. It just, uh, um, I almost started speaking in Romanian there. Um, it, just, it, it just comes out. And now we're contagious. Now is the point where we are, where we are contagious. Now we're speaking the truth. The gospel has, has grown in our hearts, it's overflowing, and we are now breathing out the gospel on our neighbors, and on our friends. When this starts happening, what happens? Our loved ones start to push us away. People start to quarantine us, right? You know, I think about, uh, um, you know, whatever you think about, you know, and, and I'm conflicted. There are lots of different points of views. You know, but like these, these nurses that are coming back after serving, uh, people um, in West Africa, and now, and, and now we're wanting to quarantine them for a time, right? It's not that we have any animosity toward them. It's not that we somehow want to, you know, um, <laughs> uh, take a fire and destroy them, right? But we want them to be closed in so that that doesn't spread, right? And oftentimes, isn't it that way in society with us and our message? they're they're, they're perfectly fine that we are here today this morning here in this building sharing the gospel the problems come when when we leave those doors and we within the context of our work we within the context of our family then breathe out that gospel that is bubbling up in our hearts and we are contagious because they're fine so long as we are just carriers of it they are long they're fine so long as as the gospel infects our hearts But they do not want to hear it, they do not want it to, uh, they do not want to catch it, they do not want their children to catch it, they want it to just remain with us, right? How does the gospel change us? It infects our minds, our hearts, and it changes us. It changes our very nature. Please turn to the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4. As we began our church plant, uh, our pastor he said, "You know, the first book we're going to preach through." And I said, "What? James or one of the Gospels or what?" He said, "No, Ephesians." And if any of you know the book of Ephesians, um, it puts election right out there, and it's in the first chapter. I said, "Niku, niku, niku." And uh, he said, "Nope, we're going to do it." I said, "Okay." So we grew from about 35 to 20 pretty quick. <laughs> but then we didn't grow in numbers, but, but we grew, each of us, the gospel grew in our hearts through, through a better understanding. Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 17 through 23. <clears throat> now, now this I say and testify in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So. Before we were infected with the gospel, we walked a certain way, right? In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. There you are at the heart again. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Does that kind of sound like anything familiar around here? I don't know, maybe things are different. Maybe maybe that kind of thing hasn't spread up here to this rural part of Michigan, huh? Oh, it has? Oh, okay. All right. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have learned about him and are taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when we place our faith in Christ, when we, uh, as we say, get saved. Christ lived a righteous life. He fulfilled the law. He then died a sacrificial death. When he died... Uh, the sins of anybody that will ever believe in him were were placed on him in a very real and legal way, and God punished him for those sins. When Jesus died on the cross, there was more going on than just a physical death. God the Father was punishing him, and it was in a deeper, uh, darker way than any of us could ever understand. What was happening on the outside, the physical death, it was just a, a, uh, a, um, a shadow of what was going on as he was as it were, uh, drinking from the cup of God's wrath. Once we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we before God, in a very real and legal way, trade places with Christ. God no longer sees our own lives and actions and uh, disobedience. He sees Christ's obedience. He no longer, when he looks on our sins, he no longer sees them on us and has wrath toward us. He sees them being placed on the Son when he died on the cross. That is true in a very real and legal way. But as we live our lives and as, as the gospel grows in our hearts and affects us and changes us and we, we put off the old man and put on the new man, what is true in a legal way becomes true in a practical way. And that's what he's saying here uh, in the book of Ephesians. And he says, he says, put on the new self, verse 24, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So our new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, legally, we stand before God in the place, Christ stands before God in our place, right? But now, as we live our lives, uh, and we become more holy, we become more sanctified, what is legally true becomes practically true, and we become more and more like Christ. We bear the image of his Son, uh, and at, as we then are living our lives and, neg- and navigating and trying to make decisions, increasingly and increasingly, the, um, the decisions that, that we make are more in accordance uh, with God's will, are more as Christ, you know, it's, it's not just about wearing a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? We have his spirit living in us and we are, we are able to discern what Jesus would do as we live in this fallen world. That brings me to the fifth point. What does the gospel make us do? What are the symptoms, if you will, of the gospel? What are the symptoms of being infected by the gospel? This morning, if we were to give if we were to analyze you, if we were to take your temperature, if we were to ask you questions of, of your life, would they show the symptoms of the gospel? Or would you test negative for the gospel? Are you just a carrier of the gospel, or are you contagious? You know, it's possible sometimes to be infected, but you're not showing any of the symptoms yet, right? Or it's possible that you have, you know, uh, Ebola is a virus. You know, so it's going to lay lay dormant in you after you've had it. Correct. What are the symptoms of the gospel? What are the signs that you're saved? The signs that your heart of stone has been taken away and you've been given a heart of flesh. Well, we have we have a soft heart. First Peter is very clear where he says, uh, um, "Like newborn babies, you know, like newborn babies, what that have been reborn, right? Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk." I submit to you that one symptom, or or a good symptom to know. Uh, are you contagious with the gospel is found in, in Galatians chapter 5 in the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits, the results of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, it says this, another passage we probably all have memorized. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I think that that's, that's a key passage there. Against such things there is no law. And as we as we seek to spread the gospel to our, to our neighbors, like we said in our song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And we do need our good message to be coupled with good works uh, in order to have a rightful place in our society. Because they're not interested in just hearing a message. They're interested in seeing that we, that we walk the walk. The fruits of the Spirit. Are you defined by those characteristics? I'm going to read them again more slowly. Love. Are you defined by love? If I were to analyze, you know, your. If I were to interview. Right now, we're we're in the final stages of joining uh, Faith Global Missions. We had to give them, I think, five or six. Each of us had, had to give them five or six references, and they asked them questions. If I were to to send reference forms to the to your coworkers, if I were to send reference forms to your family, and ask them. Does this person display love? How would they answer? Love, joy. Sometimes that's a hard one for us, especially us Calvinists, right? Because we just, sometimes we're we're the frozen chosen, right? (laughs) Joy. Peace. Of course, Christ did not come to bring peace but a sword. But, uh, um, we are to seek peace whenever we can as much as it depends on us peace patience wow kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness do we speak our truth as we breathe out the gospel message is it breathed out in the spirit of gentleness is it breathed out as as you know one beggar that's telling another beggar hey i found bread over there is it gentle and self-control. You know, sad to say, I've been a part of churches <laughs> that did not always display all of these fruits of the Spirit. I was sharing this morning, uh, I grew up in a group of churches that, uh, well, the only way to describe it is, is the way that, that one missionary friend said, and he said, Dave, he said, uh, God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Right? And that's, and that, that was my experience growing up. I got to tell you, um, some of the churches that I was involved in as, as a eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year- old boy were just hateful. Uh, I remember hearing from the pulpit, basically every Sunday, it was a, uh, a discussion on every other denomination and the things that they had wrong with them. And there were times when we would have a visitor, and I, would, I'm talking at like an eight or nine year old boy, you know, and I'm looking at my boys there. And when we would have a visitor, I'd be like, "Hmm, are they from one of those other denominations, and are they here spying on us?" That was the attitude that I had as a young boy. That does not reflect the fruits of the spirit. That 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 is not a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. That is not that is not a an attitude. That is not one that that is consistent with being infected with the gospel. That is not one, when we are infected with the gospel we want to infect other people. We we want to meet them where they are and share with them God's truth. If, as we read these fruits of the spirit, you know, there's quite, how many are there? There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's eight of them. If you aren't convicted about one of them, you know, between the eight, that means you're not reading the passage good enough, right? We all, uh, at the end of the sermon, you know, I'll be the first one to get down on my knees right here on the altar if we're going to do an altar call style, right? Uh, eight of those fruits of the spirit, and we all have room to grow to grow in one of them. That's that's the beauty of the gospel. It it it's in our hearts and it grows, and there's always room for more and more growth. Two more symptoms of the gospel. And the first one is a symptom that we oftentimes don't think of. James 1:27. What does James 1:27 say? Well, of course I haven't memorized because I'm in the line of ministry that I am. It says, "Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this: to care for widows and the fatherless in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted by the world." And we read this um, today, and maybe in some of our churches, we're like, well, "Where did that come from?" Right? Uh, I mean, it's nice to help people who need help, but how is it that that in and of itself is religion? And I'm tempted to just preach a whole sermon on this, but I'll try to limit it to just a few passages. First of all, we see, we see God's command for us to help the helpless all throughout scriptures. Before the law was given, you know, Job, Job probably lived somewhere around the time that Abraham did. Uh, Job 29, 31, re- replete. Full of um, commands and how he cared for the fatherless how he cared for the poor how he cared for the little i made the widow's heart to sing i sought out i i cared for the fatherless as a father i sought out the case of him whom i did not know and we as we seek to spread the gospel and as we are contagious we're not called just to preach the gospel if someone comes up to you and says hey, what must I do to be saved? You share the gospel. That's not what we're called to do. We're, we are shared to seek out the cause of him whom we do not know, right? We are, called, we are commanded to be proactive. Across the book of Deuteronomy, many, many passages that talked about how they were supposed to gather up the tithe, they were supposed to give it to the Levite, to the foreigner, and to who? To the widow and the orphans. Across the book of Proverbs in the uh, um. In the wisdom literature, uh, one of the passages that I love is it says, it says that, you know, the one that, how, how does it say it? It says, um, I probably should have had it in my notes. Um, it says, uh, uh, the one who who uh, who makes fun of, what's the word I'm looking for? The one who uh, derides or the one who uh, makes fun of the poor, he's, a, he's, he's actually disdaining God because... The poor, is, is made, the poor man is made in the image of God, right? One passage I would like to read is, is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 16, he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will become like wool. And we all know that passage. Did you know that that part about the widows and the orphans was in there? Well, then you guys are a good church. A lot of times we don't know. We're like, like, how'd that get in there? And it's like, well, it's been in there for a while, you know. (laughs) Unfortunately uh a lot of times our bible believing churches haven't always been so strong in that point uh you know and that's because about 100 120 years ago there was a movement that got started and they called it the social gospel basically to break it down the social gospel was something like this there were men there were pastors there were seminary leaders who started to not really believe in god's word they didn't believe in its inerrancy they did not believe in the uh, sacrifice of Christ, they did not believe it, right? But yet, they still held to the fact that, wow, there's a lot of suffering in this world. And yes, the suffering in this world is due to sin. So rather than making, keeping the main thing the main thing, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to save us from hell, they, they made a very secondary application, and they preached that the cause of Christ, the cause of the church, is not to not to relieve and save from the suffering of hell, but to save from the suffering that is on this earth. Okay, now the suffering that is on this earth is a, is a result of sin, and therefore it has implications even within the gospel. But that's not the main point, right? And so then, they rather than taking the word of God as their tool to preach the gospel, they took the church as their tool to take care of the social ailments. Of society. And that was incorrect. Our forefathers in the faith, those that held and hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, those that held and hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ, this gospel that has infected their hearts and it grew out. Well, we're, we're on the topic of, of, uh, of diseases. Let's call it a social gospel what it was. It was a cancer, right? And what do you do when you have cancer? You cut. And you cut out as much as you have to cut out, and you cut out a little bit more then, right? You cut out some of the good flesh too to make sure you get out all the bad stuff, right? And unfortunately, we cut out a lot of good flesh when we cut out the social gospel. And it's so bad to where even even seven years ago, as we were first just getting started and, and we're sharing with people, you know, look at these street children, look at their situation that they're in. We want to minister to them. Some of the people were like, well, yeah, they're in a lot of problems, but... What does it have to do with the church? What does it have to do with missions? Uh, as we've come back, I'm seeing that a lot of that is changing. There's a, there is a movement that is, again, being healed from uh, the social gospel. Any time anytime that, we, that we base a teaching or we base a movement of ours on a reaction to another movement, we're probably going to be going too far the other way, right? You know, because, because we're trying to compensate. Well... 120 years has passed. That's what five generations, roughly, and so you know we're being born now. We're not necessarily dealing with the exact same uh, fight that our forefathers were in the faith. And so I'm I'm very thankful that uh, now as we minister among the hurting youth of Romania, we're starting to have more and more partners that are that aren't charismatics, that aren't um, you know, I hate to point you know Catholics or other groups, but that they do believe in the scriptures. Let's, let's also remember, as we think of, well, where does the role of caring for people's material needs have in the gospel? Let, let's not forget what John the Baptist, well, let's not forget his message. Luke 3, 9, 9 through 14, he says, Now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that, that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What shall we then do? And he answered them. What did he answer them? He said, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So we repent. What should we do? And the answer is: If you have two tunics, share with him who has none. I love. Uh, um, we listened to. We just we were at a concert of uh, Keith and Sarah uh, Getty recently, and we bought some of their CDs. And one of their songs it says, "God doesn't count. God doesn't count what he give. What we give, he counts what we keep." Isn't that a convicting thing? The church, even now in our times, uh, ha- has always known this, the true church. People that have been affected with the gospel, they are people who go out and love. And, and you all know that. I, I know some of the works, even within your own church, I know that you've been involved in social causes. Uh, not because that is the greatest good. I, I think of that. I, I'm sure that uh, uh, the folks that started the Salvation Army would be rolling in their, are rolling in their graves right now, as, as Salvation Army you know, says, doing the most good. They'd be like, "You're not doing the most good. <laughs> you know, you're doing a secondary good. Uh, get the gospel out." Um, but um, uh, we we look even look at it this way. Even uh, again, back back to Ebola, uh, the first doctors that were getting infected, who who were they from? You know, the media wanted to interview Doctors Without Borders. Wasn't anybody from Doctors Without Borders cleaning up diarrhea and vomit? Mm-hmm. Samaritan's Purse. Was there? Evangelical missionaries were there. It took it took Doctors Without Borders, you know, a month, six weeks, or whatever, before they started getting people on the ground. We were already there, right? And there is no organization, there is no uh, um, group w- with a greater reach than the Church of Jesus Christ, even today, even in spite of us pulling the pendulum away from the social gospel. And so, as we get our perspective a little bit more Bible centric. And not worry about maybe what was in the past, and not worry about well, if we do this, what is it? No, and we just think about what's in God's word. I can only imagine the the power that is going to be unleashed on this earth for good and for the for the good of the gospel. Let's not forget what's on the final exam. Matthew 25, where he says, uh, um, uh, in verse 31: When the Son of Man comes in in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He shall sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did to me. Here we see that if we love God, we will love people that are created in his image. What does this mean? Does this mean that if we do good works, we're going to go to heaven? No, but rather it means that if the gospel has infected us and it has moved in our hearts, it will pour out from our mouths, it will also pour out from our hands, and we will do good works. We will do good works for the helpless. It's like James says, uh, faith without works is dead. Faith results in works. Where he says, what good is it? You, know, you, you can say that you, that you have faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. You know, I, I think of it right now. Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm battling an addiction to sugar. And uh, I believe that sugar is bad, right? But do I believe that sugar is bad, right? <laughs> as I describe repentance to my own children, as I describe uh, repentance and define it to the children that we work with, I describe it as uh, this way. Uh, it's being so sorry that you change, right? Do we believe the gospel? Has it changed us? This is a symptom of the gospel. Another, a, another symptom of the gospel, as it says in James 1.27, is that we remain unspotted by the world. I think of uh, Psalm 24, probably one of my favorite psalms, where it says, The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof, the world and all men who are made in his hand, it, it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. And Then he says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord?" may stand in his holy place and what is the answer he who has clean hands and pure heart who lifts not a soul nor swears to an idol our good deeds manifest themselves uh, as we help others it also manifests as we ourselves live righteous lives and let me tell you I can tell you right now I'm in the middle of some very difficult discussions with some of my own family and the only thing you know, and as I'm discussing with them and, and, and sharing with them that they, that, that they very clearly are living in contradiction to God's world, that they are living in sin, one of the only reasons why I can do that with a straight face is, is because by God's grace, you know, e- e- even the faith that I have is, is a gift. But the Lord has protected me and I have lived, by and large, a righteous life. And the outside world needs to see that if we are going to be contagious with the gospel. Uh, what is legally true becomes practically true, and we become more and more righteous. Are you contagious? Have you caught the gospel? Has your heart been changed by Christ? And then do you have a spiritual fever? Are you breathing out the gospel? You know, you might want to avoid my boys right now because they're coughing, right? And you're going to catch what they get. If people are around you, are they going to catch what you've got? How many people have you infected with the gospel? How many people has this church you know, what impact have we had in this community uh, to infect others with the gospel? Do you have the fruits of this? In uh, Just in review, uh, do you have the fruits of the Spirit? Are you helping those in need? Are you living unspotted by the world? I encourage you, and I'm praying for you. Uh, hopefully, as we go around now and speaking in churches, Our prayer is that we encourage the congregations around us to reach the hurting youth in their communities. Less than one in four children in this community will grow up with their mom and dad together and their families intact. Less than one in four. I mean, you want to talk about an epidemic, that's an epidemic right there. What is the church going to do about it? Are we going to stand up and, sh- and show them a community? Are we going to stand up and show them that we are Christians by our love and, and that here <coughs> they, they can be accepted? A church was willing to do that for me. Um, I, was, I was saved at 11. At about 18 years old, I started studying the God's, God's word for myself and I, I <coughs> came to a, what Wesley would call a second blessing. <laughs> but it, it, it was not charismatic in any way. It was, I, I was coming to, to various doctrinal uh, beliefs. started looking for a church, and I found, I, I found a, a Baptist church that was willing to take me in and was really, really willing uh, to love me, to have me in their homes for Thanksgiving, to have me in their homes uh, in times when normally I would be with family, and I was with family through them. And through that I saw that uh, God takes the lonely and sets them in families uh, in, in, in many shapes and forms. I encourage you to reach out to the hurting. And as we think about being contagious and infecting our community, think about the children. Satan attacks, us, attacks the children. Why? Because they're the most vulnerable. And they're the most vulnerable for us as well. They, they are the most influenceable. Uh, think, of, think of concrete. A child's heart is like concrete. When it's wet and new, you can put your hand on it and imprint it. But within a few hours, it gets hard. And then if you want to change it, You need a hammer. (laughs) And then as you pound on it, what do you do? You usually just crush it and crumble it. You cannot mold it and move it and and shape it. That's why scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And within the context, that is more of a warning than it is a promise. Because if if we don't train up our children the way that they should go, society will not make a nice form for them. We need to be conformed we need to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We do that through our ears, through our eyes. It goes into our hearts. It overflows through our mouths and through our hands. May God bless the, the attempt at preaching his word this morning. Amen. Thank you, David. You just remind our people uh, in your bulletin, you'll find a uh, mission pledge. This is how we uh, obtain our mission budget for the year. There's a place for you to sign if you're a child or an adult filling it out so we know. And you can pledge weekly or monthly and then total for the year and that will help us and we'll we'll post these later. Right now, we'll take a 10 minute break.